Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shade Away Read Aloud. I mean, book club container. Whoops. Um, I was just listening to the read aloud. <laughs> Anyways, um, yes, this container takes place every Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Louisiana time. And today I'll be holding space for and we'll be holding space for um, a discussion and exegesis, um, a breakdown of chapter four in the section titled name or the mysticism of sound and the chapter is called name <sighs> and um yes i just want to before we dive in i want to thank those who are like um here live because i feel like it contributes so much to the container and thank you for being here um as part of this discussion and um, I guess I kind of want to start off by taking us a little bit outside the book and maybe we can like weave our way back into the content of the book. Um, but I just kind of want to hold space for any reflections, um, anything that you've been positing on that came up for you upon reading to or listening to chapter four. Um, and yeah, feel free to type in the chat or unmute yourself. I'm just laughing at the chat now. Um, I guess for me, um, I'll name something and maybe we can start there. One thing that came up for me early on in the chapter. Um, oh, dang. Okay, wait. I just saw that Nobu wrote something in the chat. So I'll come back to what I said because I have it written down. Um, Nobu writes, mm, I'm tingling on, quote, mastery requiring knowledge and knowledge requiring names. Mm. Do you want to say more? Not yet. Okay, cool. Yes, that is actually one of the paragraphs that I did uh, put a star around that actually instantly made me think of this concept um, around namelessness, which is like, not a concept at all. Um, it is an acknowledgement. I would say namelessness itself is like acknowledging that some aspects of reality, some aspects of the world, <laughs> um, and some aspects of um, our human experience even go beyond the scope of like naming. And I think it most commonly shows up as like when people are feeling something or sensing something or hoping to communicate something. Um, and in that, they lose their words because, well, I'll ask y'all, why do you think that happens in those instances where people lose their words or lose their footing in communication? Okay, I'm going to read out some of the reflections in the chat. Anna says, mm, a great question. Thank you. Um, Nova says, I feel like truth is far more complex than words. Oh, I agree. Nova goes on to say, reality is far more complex than our dimensionality allows for. Yes. 
And I think for me, that really textured what you're saying really textures um, kind of my reasoning for why I feel like namelessness is so vast and not vast in the sense that it takes up a lot of space, um, vast in the sense that it like presupposes space or is the thing that actually like is the medium that contains space, which can be kind of vast and meta to say, but I think that that's what I'm hoping to capture by saying that. Um, Adam says, I'm thinking of the awestruck flavor versus like, quote, the colliding of ideas variety. Huh. I'm thinking of the awestruck flavor versus, okay, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like the awestruck namelessness and then the awestruck, then the like feeling of like, like there's like conflicting ideas that causes that, that dam between communication. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that variety where there's not a word that could possibly add to what is happening. Like, it's just like, what, you know, you're just in it. Versus like sometimes when the words won't come, when I think there's too many words actually, and they crash into a big jumble and it just ends up being nameless. I don't think that's what you're talking about, but that kind of yeah. the way you phrased that communication question made me think of that specific variety of like breakdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you bringing that in because I think it can happen for many different reasons. And I think that you're capturing like two pretty salient reasons to me or kind of like whys behind that happens when people's words kind of get jumbled. Um, so yeah, so thank you for bringing that in because I think it has to do sometimes with a lexical thing. And then I think sometimes it has to do kind of like what you're saying with an energetic thing. Um, so yeah, uh, Nobu says, I feel like um, ideas that collide in n-dimensional space can be free in o-dimensional space where O is greater than or vaster than, I'm assuming, um, N in this example. Ooh. I appreciate the mathematical computational context because I think it actually like, <laughs> I think it, um, yeah, it kind of captures for me a little bit of what I was saying. <laughs> There's a robot GIF in the chat. Um, yeah, sorry to cut in. I was just gonna say what I what I felt from from it was sort of like at some layer, you know, it's happening. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, and I think sometimes there's just channels and flows of energy that yeah precipitate naming itself. Yeah, Adam says we are liberated somewhere. Ashe, hey Gaia. Um, so I appreciate you guys kind of tackling that question. Um, where did I want to go with this? I'm holding space. I'm curious what's coming up for y'all as I fumble through the book really quickly. I was just going to say a bit about like um, when words fail. And I am just like getting the sense that as I begin speaking at some point, at some point, my words will fail me. <laughs> um, well, I think sometimes, like, the way that I experience things is, like, 
I'm experiencing them on like a really meta level. So like instead of like translating the energy into words, I feel like Mm -hmm. even how I started off where I was like, well, I'm going to start talking about how words are going to fail. And then I have Mm -hmm. a feeling that in doing so, my words will actually fail. So I feel Mm -hmm. like oftentimes like my experiential awareness of a moment is like actually translating more than like what I can say if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think that makes makes total sense and I guess what I'm hearing is like there are just there are not just but there are somatic experiences that um kind of like what we were saying to earlier like elude and like go beyond what words can capture but it still doesn't mean that we're not going to (laughs) try oh yeah I mean like I wouldn't I wouldn't write poetry if I thought that it didn't matter you know Ashe, Ashe. (laughs) yeah I'm like we wouldn't even be on this call right now I feel like communication and like there is something to it like that's kind of even what I get from this chapter is that there is something some sort of alchemical um charming that happens when something is named but I also feel like before we can even speak to how that's maybe true I think it's important to like yeah like set the context like we have been and speak to the reality that like yeah there's just some things that you can't touch with words we can try and we can like dedicate swaths of arts and poetry to it Mm -hmm. um but I don't think it ever means that the job is going to get done Personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Psychonaut says, thinking about what Nobu was saying the other day, again, about symbols and cosmic language or messages, still unpacking that whole chat. Yes. Um, and Psychonaut, are you speaking to psych- uh, what was said in that Why Am I Like This container about hyperdimensional shapes? Okay. Do you want to share what you're still unpacking or is it still in the suitcase for you? (laughs) I am in the process of unpacking the suitcase and I'm finding more suitcases inside of that suitcase. Um... I, I think mostly in how it ties into this with like language and I'm I'm sort of thinking about like symbols, like language as symbols and um, these, you know, shapes as different symbols as well and creating um, or sort of mapping out that language and what it looks like um, because I don't really think, I think that's where the difficulty comes from right, is that we don't really understand the symbols that are coming to us, and it takes so long and so much energy to sort of translate that into symbols that we understand. So um, trying to sort of map that out and create the um, the symbolism necessary for translating all of that, um, it's something else. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel as um, in relation to what you were saying that pre-symbolic reality 
Um, I feel like I'm just kind of giving a read here. I feel like in current time, pre symbolic reality is finding its way into symbolic reality. And like earlier, we were talking in archetypal hour, which you guys should totally check out. Um, we were talking about these bridges, these things that help us contextualize, help us fill in, help us color in the world of these hyperdimensional shapes. Um, and yeah, even trying to use poetry, trying to use symbology, um, reviving myth, which is something that I feel you talk about often, is I think part of that process. Um, so <laughs> actually, yeah, Adam is saying that um, it's a process. <laughs> it definitely is. And I, um, I kind of want to go to paragraph number three, number three in the text. And does anybody want to read paragraph number three? I mean, I can definitely read paragraph number three. But there's a reason why I want to bring us there. <laughs> okay, I'll read it. <laughs> so paragraph three reads, um, the reason of people's greatness or human's greatness is the scope of the knowledge. And I actually underlined the word knowledge or scratched it out and replaced it with the word gnosis a couple times in this chapter. So instead of knowledge, I'm gonna use gnosis. I hope that's okay. The reason of humans' greatness is the scope of their gnosis with which they are gifted. All the mystery of which lies in their recognition of the differences between things and beings. This gives humanity superiority not only over all the creatures of earth, but it even makes them excel the angels, the hosts of heaven. And so I brought that in because I feel like it relates to kind of um, what Nobu, Nobu talked about earlier. Let me scroll up back. something about knowledge, this interplay between knowledge. Um, but I also feel like, yes, uh, mastery requiring knowledge and knowledge requiring names. And it, this was a very complex chapter for me to read, namely because I think Hazar Inyakan just stuffs in so many different symbolic epithets. But I feel like also this act of scratching out the word knowledge and replacing it to gnosis for me felt very ceremonious in the sense that I don't think that people in humanity's greatness rests in head knowledge. And I think it actually alludes more to what we're speaking to is this, this ability to capture and marinate and maybe even set free symbolic interplay to make meaning of the world as opposed to staying boxed in by the, the symbols that, are, that we're using to make sense of reality, if that makes sense. So I want to kind of kick the question back to y'all. If if this knowledge and this gnosis is what maybe kind of separates, to use Hazrat and Yakan's example, man from beast, um, how does naming things play into this for y'all, if at all? And y'all can, um, of course, as always, feel free to unmute. I really love the switch to Gnosis. It 
it had such a nice, I don't know, hard to describe, but I just wanted to say how much I appreciate it. And I'm sitting with it. Thank you for reflecting, Otto. Yeah, maybe before we go into the larger question, would you guys do the same thing? Or do you think that the word knowledge in this chapter can be um, replaced with gnosis as you understand it? And if so, why? That would be a great essay question, by the way, but anyways. <laughs> I'm gonna read some of the stuff in the chat. Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> okay, I was just gonna be like, okay, English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> it's really interesting because I actually like so the word gnosis um I guess is like relatively new for me. Like I had never encountered that word before I uh joined the broom. And so this conversation is actually giving me a lot of perspective as to what it even is. Because I think that um, sometimes I think I I might have like a preconception about the word that it it feels like I'll be honest a lot of times it feels like something that like I don't have access to or like that I can't formulate like it I don't know why but it feels like very like official like if you have spiritual gnosis it means like. I don't know. It's very interesting. Like, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to express what I'm saying, but I think that um, comparing it to knowledge is giving me a lot of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I want to um, ask and see if mm, the way that it's described here in the book does knowing what you know about Gnosis, and this can be for anyone too, including Anna, knowing what you know about the word Gnosis and then knowing what you know about the word knowledge, which one, I guess, best fits the description that's being used in the text. Because I also feel like this, again, this dichotomy that's being created about um, the thing that creates, that separates creatures of the earth and like humans, and also even raises <clears throat> people to the ability to excel above angels I'm like that's more than something you can get in a book which is what I relate knowledge to so I wonder if it's if it's the same for you all if there's a delineation between the word knowledge um and gnosis occurring for anyone Oh, I want to read some of the stuff in the chat. Okay. Psychonaut said earlier, I think that a lot of people are too ready to look to not look at language as symbolic. They think of it as literal versus symbols, but it really is just a lot of symbolic references. Symbols as references and language as literal or objective. Ashe. Julie echoes back experiential knowledge. Um, Guy says that she's reading Twilight Language of the Nahual, The Spiritual Power of Shamanic Dreaming, Ah, Shay. Reading that book title just gave me chills. 
Psychonaut has now climbed inside of the suitcase and it has closed behind him. I bid you well, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Nobu says, I feel like names can help us to bridge between our experience and other people's experience and they can change our perceptual frames and therefore our experience. But I don't think, I don't feel like their experience itself. Ashe. Yeah, I'm going to continue reading some of the chat. Psychonaut shares some Proto-Indo-European roots of no, G-N-O, um, which directly correlates to the, to the phrase to know. Gaia says, I'm where Anna is. Adam says, I hear what you're saying, Anna. And I would say, quote, inner knowing, inner knowing was the, quote, symbolic bridge that helped me with Gnosis. Nobu says, I feel like Gnosis to me is preconceptual knowing and knowledge is conceptualized Gnosis. Thank you for saying so. Julie says, yeah, I think because of the consensus of how knowledge is defined as heavy on the cerebral aspects of intelligence versus full body intelligence, which I feel Gnosis points to. Ashe. Yeah, and I'd say I have to agree. I think that's why I was kind of called to like scratch out knowledge because I'm like, at this point in my journey, I'm not approaching anything with just my head. And so to bold, bold of Hazra and Yakan to assume <laughs> that that's where I was going. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> uh, curious, uh, curious if there's any other delineations um, coming up for y'all. <laughs> Guy is saying this clicked for me. You want to say more? That's what Julie said, Ashe. Psychonaut says Gnosis is specifically experiential knowledge in my experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of, when I think of Gnosis, I think of something that lives directly in my Akash that's like context specific and that like after one particular context, for me, it's probably because I'm Mercury Day born, but after I can fill that part of my Akash, like that part of truth can fill into multiple different circumstances, usually three circumstances. I'm like, oh, it's Gnosis. At this point, it's wisdom for me to learn how to steer my ship in life. And I think that that's the thing with Gnosis is that it might not be something, the context in which Gnosis, <laughs> Anna says, and that's all Mercury, period. Um, I don't think that every single circumstance is going to call for the same gnosis, but I do think that that um, what's the word I'm looking for? Collection of gnosis and collection of experiential wisdom, I think, amounts to gnosis. And then I think if you're like some of the people in the room who are like collecting different books of gnosis across different lineages, then yeah, then you have kind of, I would, I would, in my opinion, say that that's gnosis, like books of knowledge, um, <laughs> a pack of gnosis, exactly. Um, yeah, and guys saying gnosis is a new word in my vocabulary, so I'll have to get used to it, to using it, because it still feels a, feels a little uncomfortable using it, actually. 
Okay. Yeah, only if you want to. And I think I just kind of was, it's it's a perceptual tool for me, honestly, Gaia, as a way to approach this text. Um, because obviously I have some shit to work around, show some shit to work out around conceptual frameworks. So that's my karma. Um, so yeah. I wanted to kind of anchor us into the other polarity here, which is if we're kind of talking about namelessness, I would like to approach the act or the ceremony of naming something or kind of, as I said earlier, and like riffed off the channel, I mean, the channel, the chapter by saying um, the act of charming something or a moment or consecrating a moment by naming it. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what you all's experience with names are, your own name, um, the power in a name, the lack of power in a name. I kind of am open to, like, opening all those different complexities, and I'm curious what comes up for y'all. I'm reading some of what's going on in the chat. So earlier when Psychonaut said Gnosis is specifically experiential knowledge in his perspective, Nobu responded, this got me thinking about how concepts can be experienced from a preconceptual perspective too. Ashe. Nobu continues, like to me, it's clear that concepts and conceptual play take place inside a container of experience. Ooh. It is clear to me that concepts and conceptual play take place inside a container of experience. Yes. And I feel like for me personally, that happens right before something or right before some sort of truth. In my field is crystallized as gnosis it's like i think you use this in the example of the why am i like this container <laughs> and i instantly pictured a beignet being rolled up in like powdered sugar where you were like gnosis and like or some of these hyperdimensional shapes um or these preconceptual shapes have to be rolled around in concepts and i instantly just thought of beignets and like powdered sugar <laughs> like how they are like rolled up um when they're like heated so they can soak it up, but then like the sugar eventually dissolves depending on how much sugar you put on it, just to drive the concept all the way home. Um, yeah, so this is, I feel like this is really awesome that we're going here. <laughs> Nobody says like, I can watch philosophers arguing from afar and be like, that looks silly. Yeah, or like me, I can spend over eight years in undergrad racking up thousands of dollars in debt, like obtaining all these certifications and still kind of like laughing at the whole concept of university, <laughs> the whole concept of obtaining a degree and still do that shit and still do it. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't have to be for everyone, but <laughs> it was for my path in a particular way. 
Um, yeah. Oh, I'm going to read what Psychonaut says. The closest concept I can pull to this is the Lacan real. We had a thread around, am I saying this right, Lacan? If we want to dive into this deeper, it lays outside the symbolic realm, which contains language, law, society, etc. It's a really big thing, though, and I don't want it to take up. I don't want to take up to, I can't even read that. That's bullshit, bro. <laughs> Please say more about it. <laughs> yeah because i have no idea what that is and maybe i wasn't part of that conversation so i'm actually genuinely curious yeah the thread didn't go much of anywhere but it's um <clears throat> so lacan is is a psychoanalyst um kind of out of the 1970s like milieu right and he has like this concept of the real and it's sort of like so in his perspective, he talks a lot about like trauma because that's where he's coming from as a psycho, uh, uh, from a psychoanalysis. But he's he's um, it, it's it's everything that defies symbolic representation, right? So you have the symbolic realm, you have the real, and then you have the imaginary, and the imaginary is where we construct and keep you know ideas about identity and the ego and that sort of stuff. But the real is sort of this, um. You know, you can't even really talk about it because it's it's, you know, um, it defies symbolization. Um, but any sort of experience like gnosis may very well fit into this category of something that's, you know, terrifying and awe inspiring and and grand all at the same time in this way that sort of defies um, that. Um, and he, he goes into charting, trying to chart out this territory um a lot more um but that's that's sort of the closest uh linguistic structure that i can kind of put around this idea of the um of the pre uh pre symbolic Yes, I cannot. Thank you. I was kind of charting that. Um, you said the symbolic and the real and the imaginary. Correct. Okay. Mm. And and they're all kind of interconnected, and and we all hold these sort of spaces within ourselves. And um, if any one of them sort of falls out of balance, um, then it manifests as neuroses and that sort of thing. Um, but. Um, that's specifically the psychoanalytic um, application to like therapy. There's a lot more like sociological stuff and and things frameworks like that that um, pull pull on it in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for laying that out. And um, that's what was coming up for me too is this link between maybe not this particular system, um, but how that kind of like tersh three-tiered way of seeing reality kind of relates to esotericism. And um, Nobu wrote in the chat, namelessness is also to me core to what it means for a tradition to be esoteric. And also the reason why many esoteric lineages are apophatic. 
Would you like to say more? Oh, I saw someone unmuted. I, I guess, well, I was going to say, I was going to try and explain it, but I don't want to speak for Nobu, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Because... What? <laughs> Wait, what? I was going to say what comes up for you in relation to... <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it makes sense because, like, if esoteric is something that's hidden, and I don't even know, I pronounce I, it, I pronounce I, it apoph apophatic. I actually don't know how to pronounce it, but basically it's, like, defining, it's, like, I think it's, like, lineages that define what something is by, like, saying what it is not, mm. essentially. Oh, I hope Definitely. I. Okay. I was gonna say I hope I explained that correctly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. That's just always really resonated with me personally, of like how I approach names and namelessness. It's like I just have always felt more comfortable saying what I'm not than what I am. Mm -hmm. Because there's something that happens, I feel, in the things where my like echoing for other people. Anyway, there's something that happens where like once I name something, there's like a diffusion that takes place. A lot of times. What sort of diffusion? It's like either. Um, it's like you know something changes shape like when you name something like what you're naming changes shape I feel which I think can be like I don't think there's like a value judgment on it I think like it can be like useful and also not useful but I definitely think there is something that happens when something is named where it changes in my experience. But I'm curious how other people feel about that. Yeah, I totally agree, Anna. Um, and I agree. I think that the name is neutral, but it's hard to ignore, I think, for me the way that naming something has an exchange of will or exerts its will upon, um, yeah, something that is occurring and existing preconceptually. Um, and I feel like for me sometimes, I think that that's why namelessness is something that I like, I'm super protective about because like my lineages are protective about it. And I think um, it relates to, for me, the way that, um, there is this inequity of exchange when something is named and it's super subtle and maybe not everybody gonna see it like that. And that's totally fine with me, but it, um, absolutely. Nobu asks, did you find this chapter triggering a hundred percent? Because I had to like also clear and like create space to process a lot of like my 
preconceptual spirits trauma. You know, like we talk about childhood trauma. I'm like, my spirit has trauma from like <laughs> being named and being contained. And um, I, you know, I'm saying that cheekily, but I think it's real for me. Um, and so I can relate to that, um, Anna, where I'm like, I do, I kind of sense that when something is named, especially in the spiritual sense, especially as I'm, you know, metaphysical practitioner, I'm like, the moment something is named, especially while I'm still working with it in the preconceptual, feels like instantly taking something that's sacred and turning it into something profane. Like, that's instantly what it feels like. And so, again, I'm just like naming my karma and like why this chapter was so difficult for me. Um, but it also brings me to chapter 12. I mean, not chapter 12, paragraph 12, where, um, and I'll read it. It's super short. Um, Hazrat Inyakan says, names have a psychic effect upon their owners and even upon surroundings. The names of elementals and jinn, the sacred names of God, the holy names of the prophets and saints written according to the law of their numerical value act as a magical charm for the accomplishments of different objects in life. And by the combination of such names written or repeated in their numerical forms, wonders are performed. So I'm kind of curious what that evokes for y'all. I'm reading this. Nova, do you want to say more about this? This? Hold on, I'm just going to respond to it. Mm. Well, saying that I was talking to Anna about text and how I spell it as TXT because for me, it's like literally like bridging T, where T is like experience or time. So it's like the TXT articulation of it, to me, kind of implies that it's really just like bridging different experiences. However, I agree with what Anna and you are saying about, and also what Hazrat Inyat Khan is saying about how names have a psychic influence, because I feel like the symbols that we use to represent sounds, which we call names, are kind of like nexus points of all of the associations that people have made between experience and symbol. And so, like, there's a way that, like, for me, it feels like I can observe a name or a concept from outside of it. And then, if it feels safe, I can go into it. And I realize that when I go into it, I'm in a different container, right? Like it's a different perspective on reality. And then when I'm in there, I may also find other names and concepts. And if I go into those, then I'm further filtering my reality. And I think this is like the psychic influence that Hazrat Niyakhan's talking about for me. Um, but for me, it, like to go back to what you're saying about namelessness and how sacred it is, I feel like it's really important for us to understand that we are filtering experience through names. 
um, and therefore I think it's important to understand that it's yeah like we can gain mastery for me I took that quite literally and I take a lot of these things literally in the sense that like um, I can control people with names right like to me that's what mastery means like there is a master and then there is like shielding a subordinate <laughs> um, and if I use words and if I use names then that like most people who are not familiar or like deeply familiar or anchored in realms of namelessness will have their experience indelibly contoured by the psychic influence of those names to the point where they don't even know that their experience is being contoured by it. Um, and I think it's really important to be able to use names in such a way that you can connect people to their own experience outside of those names and not only like experience as filtered by those names, if that makes sense. Totally does, yeah. And what it brings up for me is this complexity with labels as well, which we talk about a lot in Broom, but I think um, it's coming up for me now in the sense that, um, yeah, like I think it's a commonplace for a lot of people that certain names and labels evoke certain spirits. And if it's not commonplace for people, that's okay. I guess I'm naming it now. Um, and it does... Uh, kind of illustrate to me even more so based off of what you were saying, based off of what Anna was saying, um, what gets diminished when something is what's when something is being named. And yeah, that psychic imprinting is is super hard to ignore. Um, I think a lot of people who would consider themselves energetic sensitives can probably attest to maybe like walking into stores, walking into a room with a television on and how the psychic energy is, I would say compromise because of not only the psychic influence, but like the influence of sound on a space. Um, like I, it reminds me of when I was younger, how I would go into every room and turn off the television, even if no one was there, mainly because no one was there. But secondly, it's because I'm like, I can hear the ads from the other room. And I'm being sold to when I'm just trying to like read a book or listen to like Usher's album, which is another set of programming, nevertheless. But it's still, I think, true um, to, I think, yeah, I've even had moments where I've been called to get up in the middle of the night and put a bed sheet over TVs because I'm like, I can feel the subtle imp like psychic imprinting that's happening. And I think it's important to talk about these things because I would just honestly hate for these senses to to go on being stigmatized um because i think their effect is real and i think even i've even seen this happen in interpersonal circles right where i'm like talking to my friends about one friend and one thing i say about that friend doesn't make it to that person but it influences the way that person acts and vice versa and it makes me just think of all these even ancient almost like underground railroads of communication people um, used to have to relay information to one another without running the risk of that information being encountered by some sort of psychic distortion. Um, and it's so understated. It really, really is. Um, I think people talk about the purity of things 
And I think that they mean in a very material way, but there's also um, some people who are very tuned into psychic purity. And I think that, I think that, yeah, Hazara and Yakan really fucking snapped when he talked about names having a psychic effect. Um, and yeah, I kind of want to pause and see what's coming up for y'all. What I'm also thinking about is how um, effective naming can be in, like, I'll just say, like, emotional alchemy. Like, there will be times where I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just feel really weird. What is this, you know, like, what is this thing that I'm feeling? And then it's like, as soon as I have a name for it, <laughs> as soon as I name it, then it goes away. And I think it's like the diffusion process, like in reverse, you know what I mean? It's like, or maybe it's not even in reverse, but like, I think that just like speaks to the power of naming something where it's like, I'm having the experience in my body. And then once I like name it, then that has an effect on the experience. Totally. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I, I feel like, yeah, I want to hold more space for this idea of like naming things and its effect on transmuting emotional experiences. Am I am I understanding that correctly, Anna? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to hold space um, to see if anyone else like finds that a process of naming is, is super helpful for them. <laughs> I'm laughing in the chat. Um, I'm also going to read what Julie said. I didn't want to look over it. Um, Julie writes, what's coming up for me is maybe what I've, or humans in general, feel as pain in relation to naming is not from the action of naming itself, but of knowing I can't know all the names of creation that sources the pain. Mm -hmm. which I feel relates to like separation wounds. Wow. And Julie, I'm holding more space if you'd like to say more on that or just maybe muse out loud about it. No pressure though. Psychonaut also says I was listening to a talk a while ago where they stated that hermeticism was primarily inherited by modern day advertising. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that off the record one day in a different container. So please, I'll, I'll just put a pin in that psychically without imprinting too much. Um, Nobu also says I feel like I feel like it's I feel like it's also fair to say in my experience that when we we can use i'm sorry we can only use names well when we're firmly anchored in namelessness that aligns for me nobu goes on to write where well means helping people to connect to experiences they've had slash will have slash can have that share characteristics with the experiences, experience that the user of names had. 
without inappropriately imprinting on their experience, Ashe. That's nuanced stuff, though. But I mean, we mastery was invoked in this container, so yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Psychonaut says the egregore is hungry. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, guy says naming something at times for me also helps with understanding and integrating. And just like Anna mentioned, once I name something, it diminishes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I also have to, yeah, kind of set up a little bit of ceremonial sp space for myself to do that, where I usually am called to meditate. Um, not with too many bells and whistles, but I am usually called to like get into some meditative. Um, space around just like dismembering name associations I'm a very like wordy type of person too so it's it's like part of my process a lot of the times to like release the emotional charge behind words to understand either what's being communicated to me what's psychically being transmitted to me um what's being offered to me and I feel like it's also very martial to say that it I don't always take or like keep the meaning or the association in my body I'm kind of like I got what I needed <laughs> which is I think at the heart of emotional alchemy to me Adam says I've experienced naming a strong feeling and it being helpful nervous system wise 100% Julie says, I'll say it's definitely a lesson that comes with having a body in this realm that I'm learning to accept and integrate. Ashe. I think for me that that's the primary, like, since we're speaking on separation wounds or to kind of go back to that. Um, to me, that's probably the primary separation wound that I sense into for many individuals. So I would say it's probably like, for me at that level, like a collective wound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. says, I'm reflecting too on how this relates to my disability. Like when I feel something and I name it as something wrong, how that makes the experience a lot worse rather than just sitting with the experience, feeling it and letting it go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess I'm just kind of holding space. I see some folks are typing. Y'all can feel free to unmute as well.
I'm going to read what Nova said in response to Julie. Um, Nova says, mm, yeah, like how a lot of the time it feels like people can only know each other through words. I feel like because in human bodies, for the most part, being at peace and believing that we know something without being able to name it and hear someone use names that indicate that they get it is an act of faith. Oof. Ooh. That's a big transmission, dude. I feel like that's all that's been a spiritual initiation for me personally. I'm just kind of clearing my crown right now. Psychonaut writes. One of my favorite things to do when people are experiencing a really intense emotional state is to ask them where they feel it in their body. This usually takes a lot of time for people who are new to this, but they will eventually pick a part of their body. Then I ask them how it moves. After a little bit of this, the feeling generally goes away because it's no longer the that is the feeling. It's just the feeling. I have also had that experience as well. Mm. I guess what's coming through for me right now is like this complex weaving um, around communication and like the evolutionary, this is not in the book, this is some of my gnosis, the evolutionary um, kind of What's the word that I want to use? I guess the le shielding, evolutionary leg up that we have as humans um, in the way that our like communication and olfactory system works. And I think that the system that we're equipped with, like our ears, our throat, our mouth, our brain, our body, all these different parts of self that we use to interpret our reality and one another are inherently like flawed and I feel like um yeah I'm kind of like clearing something around that that's what's coming up for me in this moment yeah and I think, yeah, also to speak to the process that Psychonaut is naming, I think that that has been one of my like personal fail-safes and also like relational fail-safes where just being able to feel into your body. I didn't realize that that was a privilege, first of all, but just being able to feel into your body and name hurt, name discomfort, name um, these like primary sense perceptions that most, if not all humans feel can be like radically empowering. Um, not only empowering in the sense that it helps you shift out of that emotion, but I think I think the thing with emotional alchemy is like kind of have like gaining gnosis on how something feels and realizing that you can sense it without having to name it and without having to go through that process again and again. It's like something becomes myelinated or imprinted in that internal process is my is what I've seen in my experience where 
I can feel disappointment again. And after the third or fourth time of feeling it, it's not that I become numb to disappointment, but that I know how to work with it more intuitively or instinctively because I have felt it. Um, and that I have that like experiential data, let's say, and like the bank of my Akash, so to speak. Is <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. Nobu says, um, totally, and I feel like it can help people, the, the feeling process that um, Psychonaut spoke to earlier can help people get out of the traps of name worlds. I feel like a lot of problems cannot be resolved using names and logical operations on Logos, aka names, which I guess goes right back to this, which is kind of like the equation earlier Nobu shared that says, I feel like Ideas that collide in n-dimensional space can be free in o-dimensional space, where o is vaster or greater than n. How's that for mathematics? <laughs> so we're kind of coming up to an hour, not to be the proverbial timekeeper, but I just want to hold space and see maybe if you guys feel like sharing or feel it's aligned to share um, what you might be reflecting on as we've discussed this chapter, as we've read this chapter, as we go into the next chapter, um, what are you taking away from this container? Um, thanks for the invitation, Hilda, and thanks for reading out so much of the chat because it was pretty lively for this container in particular. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess like one thing I wanted to like shed some light on was just a uh, discussion of like letters and rhythm in this chapter um like Hazratiniat Khan talks about uh I would say like the energetic emanations of like e and i as being receptive and o and I'll say u like you as being like powerful and i feel like it was really affirming um i think like what's kind of interesting for me is like he talks about like letters whereas like my lineages from my perspective talk about sounds um which of course we represent by letters um i'd say often in the way that we communicate sounds to other people but um yeah, I felt like that discussion was uh, pretty aligned for me, pretty rich, even if I found a lot of like the other stuff around names to be a little triggering and perhaps um, not giving like due awareness to like what we've been saying about awareness and namelessness. Yes, thank you for bringing that into the container, Nobu. I'm kind of remiss that we didn't get to go into the part about symbols and letters and rhythm. Um, because, yeah, like, although this chapter was a lot for me, it activated a lot. I felt personally, like, kind of soothed by that because I'm like, this is a way that I can relate to 
um, words and communication. It's usually the way that I do relate to words and communication. So, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that in. Anyone else? Any takeaways? Psychonaut says, going to have to spend a lot of time reflecting on this. Ashe. I think for me, there was a couple of things I didn't get into that I was like wanted to discuss, but I think I might just reflect on. Have to do with like naming ceremonies, um, different um, esoteric uh, rituals that have to do with almost um, like priming the container before something is named. Um, and so that a name can be received as opposed to given, which is really like really popular in African traditions and some um, other parts of the world in, in general, I think, um, where people have sat um, under trees on specific plots of land to receive a name for something. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's going to be my, my takeaway. Da -da 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 -da. Nova says, I'm really grateful for this chapter and the conversation that happened in here because of it, Ashe. Me too. Ironically, y'all, I was like, I don't think this conversation, this book club is going to give because I felt so much resistance around it, but I'm really grateful to see how things rounded out. I hope, I hope me being triggered didn't do too much. Um, but yeah, Adam says, this was very vast. I'm going to be sitting with this a lot, honestly. Ashe. Nobu writes, felt like a real airing out of karma around names and living in name worlds. Ooh, yes. Wow. Aw. Psychonaut said these conversations always make you feel like I feel like dancing on the edge of the void. Yes, preparing a container so that. So a name can be received rather than giving, which is like crazy because it's like the other polarity, right? Where like I was going so hard and being like, when you name them, you violate them. But there's another side to it where you can receive the name from the experience that you're courting. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll share some lore. I think I'll share some some articles about some of these rituals. They usually happen just for clarity's sake in the context of um, women folk giving birth to children. And how, like, the moment that um, the, their child is conceived, some of these mothers go into um, ritual space where they're just in communion with their, with their child-to-be. Um, and usually it's those moments where they sit under sacred land, sit under a tree, and they receive the name of their child. So, you know, really sweet stuff. Um, but thank you all again. I'm going to let Craig the Brown King go. Um, Thank you all for who listened asynchronously. And if you're not in the room already, what are you, what are you doing? Bye.